Hello and welcome to another episode of Talking Tropes. I'm David. And I'm Hannah. And today we're talking about Hitler. But not just any Hitler. Funny Hitler. Come on, we all know funny Hitler. <laughs> the goofy Hitler. We love funny Hitler. Movie Hitler. Comedy funny time Hitler. Yeah. Um, we're talking about a trope on, on TalkingTropes.com, which is... Or on uh, TVTropes.com, which is... <laughs> if only we had our own website. One day. Uh, which which they they deem uh, Adolf Hitlerius, which I think is a great uh, a great little pun to enshrine all of the works of, of Mel Brooks and Charlie Chaplin and uh, Ernst Lubitsch. Monty uh, Python. All of these great comedians who have decided that despite the tabooness of the subject, we should, in fact, make fun of Hitler. Yeah. Um, and that tradition still continues to this day. Um, yes. I, I sort of compiled a little, like, YouTube playlist of <laughs> of all the clips that I could find online of, of Hitler as a punchline. Yeah. Um, and honestly, I think, you know, he's kind of an easy target, you guys. He's a, he's a little bit of a punching bag. He's a ridiculous person. And, you know, <laughs> fascism is also very ridiculous. And so, right. you know, it's very easy to uh, make fun of it. And, and in fact, many people on the internet before us have argued that it's important to make fun of fascists because they hate it. Right. <laughs> and uh, I, I personally subscribe to that ethos 100%. I mean, sometimes fascists hate it, but also fascists love edgy jokes. So you have to be really careful about who your, your enemies are. Right. Uh, and and, and who, who the butt of the joke really is. Right. Um, so... I, I'd, uh, you know, I'd, I have to give credit where credit is due. Um, a lot of the inspiration for this video does come from the Lindsay Ellis video on whether you could make uh, a Mel Brooks so. movie today. Yeah. Uh, so we want to avoid treading on as much ground as she does, uh, where she talks about sort of tracing the history of what was acceptable to talk about when it comes to Hitler. Um, I think we want to get to, like, what exactly is the joke of Hitler when he's on screen? Yeah. And, and what are the, the trends and the tropes within that? Right. Absolutely. So let's let's kick it off. Do you want to start uh, modern and then sort of track our way back? Yeah, why not? Um, let's let's start with some of the Hitler sketches that I found uh, online, because online there's less of a barrier to entry. There's no higher ups saying, oh, you can't do that joke. That's too racy. Yeah. Um, so you've got some college humor examples. Uh, meeting Hitler in hell. <laughs> It is what it says on the tin. Uh, that was a lot of college humor in the early days. Yeah. Was just the the joke is in the title. Yep, yep. It's like Onion articles. You don't need to read the whole thing. You just read the title, and you're like, okay, I got it. <laughs> exactly. Um, and there was also, you know, uh, the the meeting Hitler in hell or depicting Hitler as being in hell as the joke uh, is kind of a trope that that runs through a lot of these. There was. Um, Gilbert Godfrey appeared in a, a film called Highway to Hell as Hitler, and he's in hell. So, and, and there's a lot of other examples. South Park did it. You know, I'm sure that, uh, oh, oh, even, uh, you know, Book of Mormon on Broadway did it. So there's lots of examples of just seeing Hitler in hell, and that's the joke. Right. And you normally see him next to someone who is not quite as bad as Hitler. Right, right. You know, it's like him and then, like, a philosopher or, you know... Right, somebody that, that the writer didn't like. Right, like, right. Uh, 
in in Book of Mormon, it's Johnny Cochran, you know. <laughs> oh, he's a bad guy. He's like Hitler. You know. Yeah. Easy joke. Easy. It's, you know, what what's the rule of the internet? That uh, if you bring up Hitler, <laughs> you lose whatever. Right. Godwin's, Godwin's law. Godwin's law. Um, that's what it is. It's, yeah. it's that Hitler always comes up in an argument. Yeah. And as soon as it does, whoever brought it up Loses. is, like, cheating, yeah. I guess. Uh, to make a comparison to Hitler. Right. Um, but College Humor also had one that I thought was not quite as hack, which was uh, The Charming Mr. Hitler, which is part of their series The Britishes, which was parodying Downton Abbey. <laughs> Did you watch this one, Hannah? I didn't get a chance to, no. <laughs> well, it's it's kind of just making fun of the snotty aristocracy of, of England, uh-huh. you know, making fun of the Downton Abbey characters. And saying that they would have been charmed by Hitler's, you know, down-to-earth demeanor, his, uh, you know, his art, his poetry. Right, his love of dogs. Right, and so it just basically shows him, you know, charming the pants off of oh this snotty British family. I love it. Um, <laughs> but, you know, always kind of hinting that something's going to go pretty bad pretty soon. Right. So, again, it's like, the joke, does it live up to the inclusion of Hitler in it? I don't know. It's just that it's, you know, it's uh, um, it's Hitler, but he's in England, you know, so it's right. that sort of joke of, what if Hitler had survived the war? Would he try again to, you know, take over the world? Or would he just be powerless? And this is suggesting, like, okay... If if Hitler could just kind of change some of the words around from national socialist to national bocialist, right. and from concentration camps to boncentration bamps, <laughs> um, and that people would still start to fall for it. Um, Which, like, they're not wrong. <laughs> <laughs> well, so, that, yeah, I think that's, like, a decent uh, satire, because it's yeah. sort of a warning, I guess, to uh, right-wing populism sort of rising again in a new form that it, it doesn't it doesn't die with Hitler that Hitler kind of exists past where he exists yeah and that you know the ideas that he was working with were not unique to him and you know hashtag it can happen here <laughs> and right. it is in both the UK and the US currently unfortunately and that sort of like Hitler surviving his own death I think that kind of goes into jokes about resurrected Hitlers yeah. or jokes about time travel to undo Hitler. So let's go back and, and sort of go back to the the origin almost of these Hitler parodies in, in movies. Uh, you know, we've talked about some sketches, but there's a long history of Hitler being a goof on film. Right. Well, I mean, it starts out as, as sort of pre-war uh, propaganda, right. typically in, in England or in, uh, in the US. Yeah. Because at that point, he wasn't the most terrifying, horrible person that had ever existed. Right. He was just the enemy. He was just the guy that we had to fight. Yeah. So he appeared in a lot of cartoons and a lot of, you know, he's a ridiculous <laughs> figure in those cartoons. And they're, they're almost like newspaper political cartoons. You know, they're just like, Oh, 100%. You can compare any depiction from, like, the Disney, you know, Der Fuhrer's face or... Dr. Seuss's. Yeah, the Dr. Seuss cartoons that he actually drew uh, of, of Hitler being a bad guy. Right. Yeah, I mean, it's... It, you could compare them to any, like, Donald Trump... Uh, uh, depiction today right. in, in the newspaper. It's just he's a ridiculous buffoon. He's you know controlling. He's like a king, you know, with a crown and a cape. Yeah, he's a windbag. He's right. a failed artist. What is he even doing in politics? You know, like right. 
all this sort of like this guy can you believe it uh and right. then and of course there were also the 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 parody songs there yes. was uh you know hitler has only got one ball that uh our our, our grandmother taught to us when we were young um <laughs> classic classic jewish uh passage <laughs> culture <laughs> gotta learn that hitler only has one ball song <laughs> And, uh, you know, there was another song that directly compared him to Charlie Chap- Chaplin uh, saying, you know, he looks like Charlie Chaplin. He's got the same silly mustache. It's Sarah Palin and and Tina Fey, you know, it's like, oh, Sarah Palin with her Tina Fey glasses. It's like, oh, Hitler and his Charlie Chaplin mustache, you know, like it's, it's very that. Right. And so just like, you know, people saying that Tina Fey looks like Sarah Palin led her to actually portray that person. Uh, Charlie Chaplin comes in and says, well, why don't I make a movie about this Hitler buffoon? Yeah. And we get The Great Dictator, which great movie. Yeah, I, I thought it was it was pretty okay. I mean, there's still some things that feel very odd about it now because it is, you know, pre-war. Mm-hmm. Um, the, you know, the, the jokes about, like, Hitler not really wanting to exterminate the Jews or maybe it's Goebbels' idea right. or maybe it's... Uh, maybe it's something that he wants to do, but that they're kind of trying to ratchet up to get political points out of it. Yeah. So th- th- there's a lot of jokes about how Germany's not doing too good. Uh, it's, there's there's poverty everywhere. There's economic collapse. Right, right. And Which, that you know, the, the persecution of the Jews is just a way to distract from, from the hunger that everyone's experiencing. Right. Which is also a theme in Der Fuhrer's face. The, the Donald Duck cartoon. Um, I mean, they weren't wrong, because <laughs> it was a lot of that, but uh, I think, uh, you know, Germany really committed to it. It understates the, the ideological hatred yeah. of, you know, all minority peoples, and especially of anti-Semitism. Right. That's, was fundamental to their ideology. Right, and I think part of the reason that it underestimates that is because, you know, a lot of the Nazi ideology was based off of U.S. eugenicists and, you know, papers on black people should be slaves because eugenics here in the U.S. Uh, You know, like, it, it all ties together in a big shit... Names and everything. Sure, but, you know, like, I mean, just think about all the times that we as a country have parodied, like, Kim Jong-un or Kim, Kim Jong-il. Like, you know... That's true. It's, there's a lot. <laughs> People like making fun of dictators. I think that that is a person that Hollywood, at least, finds fascinating and easy to mock. Because there is a certain arrogance in sort of declaring yourself a dictator or a modern-day, like, king of some kind, you know? And, and I think audiences like to see someone who has declared themselves king uh, or emperor, dictator, hoist by their own petard. And I think there's, you know, definitely an element of that to it, along with, you know, Hitler being... extra fun because he's a true piece of shit right i i i see a lot of jokes in 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 this one that are just sort of uh about how you know hitler hates democracy hitler hates the american way of life kind of thing Mm -hmm. there's a there's an american pride to the bashing of hitler it's it's not just in the great dictator yeah yeah in the great dictator like the dictate the fact that he's a dictator is like the biggest issue rather than the movement behind him it's about him opposing uh liberty and freedom these right. these kind of abstract concepts that uh 
that America was rallying behind at the time. Yeah. And that, you know, still sort of rallies behind today, but because they're abstract concepts, you know, you can make the them as concrete as you want in as many different ways as you want. Uh, what is freedom? What is patriotism? Et cetera, et cetera. Right. There was a lot of criticism of the film at the time by right-wing isolationists. Uh, and then Charlie Chaplin was even subpoenaed by a Senate subcommittee oh my God. to testify about violating neutrality. But then, you know, it, it was kind of pushed aside after Pearl Harbor and, and no one really cared that Charlie <laughs> Chaplin was, was mean to the Nazis. Nazis at that point. Yeah, yeah. We, we were all in on fuck the Nazis. Right. But I, I think it does, you know, speak to, even back then, you know, sure, today we, we talk about Kim Jong-un, Kim Jong but there are implications for our foreign policy that that has. At the time, it was the same. You know, you couldn't just make a film making fun of a foreign leader, even one as as terrible and, and cruel as, as Adolf Hitler. Right. But he did it anyway, and hats off to, to Charlie Chaplin, even though it was not... I'm sorry, you do not win the award for Funniest Hitler. Um... <laughs> Uh, do you want to talk about his his speech at the end, to, where he he's import personating Hitler? Sure. I mean, it's definitely been talked about. But uh, what, what's your what's your, do you have a hot take or a sideways take? No, I, I don't. I I just I just wanted to you know it's it's one of the most famous speeches right. you know in favor of the human spirit and whatnot. And the, the phrase machine minds and machine hearts has become kind of iconic uh, from that speech. Yeah. But I was just curious if you found it moving or if you found it, you know, kind of uh, over the top or just sort of schmaltzy. <laughs> I mean, can it be all three at once? <laughs> like, sure. it's like, it's definitely over the top and a little schmaltzy. But when you, you do get sort of sucked into it, you know, and I, I think that's true of a lot of classic movie moments when you if you look back at them with a sort of unemotional critical eye it's very easy to to sort of roll your eyes and go okay i see how this is working what buttons this is pushing but if you know you're sort of just along for the ride of it you are i think you're able to get lost in it a little bit and you're able to uh to enjoy it sure so uh, around a, a similar time to this film coming out, there was another film, To Be or Not to Be, which was uh, directed by uh, Ernst Lubitsch, who was a Jewish director fl who fled from the Nazis. And uh, so, you know, he wanted to write a story in which the theater actors in uh, in, in Warsaw would, would sort of dupe Hitler and the Nazis, and they would be the butt of the joke in that sense. But there isn't a lot of, you know, making fun of Hitler himself, just the the hierarchical nature of the Nazis. So there will be a lot of jokes where somebody tries to push the blame onto a subordinate, even when though they gave the order and the subordinate was only following orders. So the, the hierarchy of fascism is kind of being parodied there. And I, I thought that it was a... It was, it was a decent, for the time, uh, satire of Nazism as a larger structure, as opposed to just making fun of Hitler. But they still got to make fun of Hitler by having one of the actors play Hitler and be mistaken for Hitler, yeah. which I think was what uh, Mel Brooks liked the most about it, to the point where he, he remade the film in 1980, almost beat for beat, but with more of an emphasis on Mel Brooks dressed up as Hitler <laughs> doing Hitler things. Yeah, yeah. Should we talk about Mel Brooks? Just all of it? Like, <laughs> yeah, let's, uh, 
There's Let's so jump much. into the Mel Brooks of it. He loves Hitler jokes. He does. And, you know, many people have asked him, like, why? Why do you love Hitler's jokes so much? Right. In fact, uh, Jiminy Glick, uh, the Martin Short character, yeah. phrased it best when he said... <laughs> what exactly? Springtime for Hitler, uh, and they produce it, and then it accidentally is successful, <laughs> and hijinks ensue. But what we're here to talk about is that very play that they produce, Springtime for Hitler. Right. Um, so this is probably it, it's it's one of my favorite films of all time. I, it, if people ask me what my favorite comedy is, I usually say the producers because. I really, You're talking the original, right? The original producers, yeah. I, I I just find the premise so fantastic. I think it's the performances. Zero Mostel and Gene Wilder are the best of their careers and the best performances in a comedy. I mean, you just, you can't beat it. Um, you know, the, Bialystok is so slimy and dis, disreputable, and yet you you find him kind of lovable right. in his own way. And, uh, and Gene Wilder is so neurotic and over the top, but he pulls it off, it's, you know, in the same way that he would pull off a Willy Wonka. It's Gene Wilder. He pulls off everything, you know? <laughs> right, yeah. But, I mean, I'm just saying, like, <laughs> to immediately compare it to the, the Broadway musical, Nathan Lane, I love him. Great. But is he slimy enough? Is he grody enough to be a, a Bialystok? I don't think so. <laughs> know i i feel like he can nathan lane can pull it off maybe not to the the level of the original but i i i i can't get mad at nathan lane. and then matthew broderick he can do over the top but can he ground over the top uh performance the way that gene wilder can i don't i don't think so the nuance he, he just kind of comes across as like mimicking gene wilder which is a shame but uh the original absolutely one of my favorites and once it gets to the actual performance of springtime for hitler by this point we've we've built up so much about the show we've seen the writer who is completely deranged right he's he's basically a former nazi who's in hiding in america right he's like a former and current like he right. doesn't hide it very much at all no. he sort of when he hears that people have come to read his script uh you know he surrenders and agrees to go to prison, but then immediately afterward, like, hands them out, uh, you know, Nazi armbands that he's right. just keeping around. So, yep. he's not really hiding. No, it. no. Uh, you know, and he trains a bunch of pigeons. That's that's his other thing. <laughs> right. But, so, you know, he's written Springtime for Hitler as this very serious, basically, propaganda piece for... Hitler and don't don't they have him playing Hitler or am I misremembering that you're misremembering that's from the uh, the remake oh that's the, from the remake the, the musical version okay so the the uh, he's trying to resurrect Mussolini that's true the neo fascists it just isn't like a thing there are a lot about people trying to resurrect Hitler right so of course there there were a lot of other examples of of little tiny bits of of Hitler appearing. But there were a few uh, modern examples of films that I thought were worth bringing up, uh, especially those outside of the U.S. Um, that, that don't get talked about a lot. There was one called uh, Look Who's Back. It's a German film, uh, which was sort of like a Borat, but with Hitler. Oh, my God. Which, you know, Borat was also anti-Semitic, so it, it kind of works. And then, of course, you know... <laughs> Uh, Sasha Baron Cohen did uh, the, the the dictator, which is sort of a a reflection of the great dictator. 
even though it's it's talking about a dictator in uh, uh, in the Middle East rather than in, in Nazi Germany. But anyway, look who's back is Hitler survives. He's back from the dead and he's just going around talking to people, real people in, in real life. And just no one seems to care that he's Hitler. And he goes on a debate show and he you know, wins the debate. He goes to to see all these... Uh, all to, he goes through all these political movements to try and get back into power, and he nearly does. So it's, it's again, a story about Hitler's legacy going beyond his, his death. Yeah. There was also a, a 2008 Russian comedy called Hitler Goes Kaput, which is more of like a, I don't know, an anachronistic... Uh, depiction of uh, a, a Soviet spy taking out Hitler, mm. um, and Hitler is portrayed as very ridiculous. Uh, he looks nothing like Hitler, but that's like part of the joke. Right. He's he's just sort of obsessive and neurotic, and and all of those kind of things. And then the badass super spy is like a comedy, you know, almost like a James Bond type but but more like austin powers kind of very austin powers yeah because i guess you know soviet russia they have a different relationship to hitler still one that antagonistic still one that's antagonistic and that depicts him as a monster and that you know they would want to rob him of power through comedy but it's very different from the american jew relationship to to hitler absolutely Would agree with that 100%. There's, of course, a lot of uh, people switching places with Nazis to comedic effect. Uh, you know, in addition to The Great Dictator, uh, there was a, a film called Goebbels und Geduldig. Okay. Which is Joseph Goebbels uh, switching places with a, a Jewish prisoner in a concentration camp. And then hilarious. <laughs> that one's dark. Yeah, I, it's, it seems to be that way. There was a, a German film called Mein Fuhrer, The Really Truest Truth About Adolf Hitler, which came out in 2007. <laughs> this one is very strange uh, because it's sort of like The King's Speech, but with Hitler. Yeah. That's, it's, it's a strange premise, it seems like. Right, and it's Hitler at the end of the war, you know, so again, similar to King's Speech, which came out like three years later. (laughs) So this actually predates it somehow. But anyway, so they get a Jewish vocal coach to come in and help Hitler regain his power because he's a bedwetter, he's addicted to drugs, he's, uh, you know, he's emotionally stunted and he's physically debilitated and, and he's losing his voice. And all of these things are happening to him. So it almost kind of humanizes Hitler, which is which is exactly what it was criticized for when it came out. Yeah. But uh, the ending is supposed to be that he loses his voice and the, uh, the, the Jew who's been helping him, you know, regain his voice has to dub him over and again gets to speak for Hitler oh, God. to the crowd. And and says, "Why do you follow me? I'm an idiot. I wet the bed. My my father beat me, and I try to take it out on the Jews. All these things. And then he gets shot in the head, and then and then dies. Oh God! Uh, so it's you know it, it was part of this sort of uh, movement, I guess, to try and reclaim some kind of power in the retelling of of the the end of the Nazis." But but it's it's really uncomfortable. It was I mean it was directed by a Jew, so yeah. It, but it it just doesn't really work, uh, and and it does serve to more or less humanize Hitler and suggest that like Goebbels was the only one who actually hated the Jews. If that's a that's a tough one. Yeah, yeah. Like it's hard. It's it's not easy to. I mean, I think it's entirely impossible to make a film 
about Hitler and not have someone take offense or criticize it or point out that it could be read in a way that you as its creator did not intend. Because it's a tricky and very understandably and emotionally, like tense subject you know like there's there's not a a jew alive who doesn't know someone uh either personally or you know someone in their family who was not affected by the holocaust uh in some way right but at the same time the internet when that when it's when it's decoupled from jewishness the internet is able to, to treat it very flippantly and just kind of say well it's it's just hitler we can make jokes about it and that's i think where like the downfall mm-hmm. meme comes from you know, all of the Hitler rants videos where they dub him over. You know, it's just ridiculous to have Hitler be talking about something that isn't historically accurate, but they don't really, you know, treat it like the gravity of making fun of Hitler. It's just like, no, it would. It's funny. Look. <laughs> I really like this film, but I also have a lot of very complicated feelings about it, and I think it it ties into to what we were just talking about. Yeah. How you know what is the purpose of Hitler in film in you know 2019, 2020? Right. What what is this doing? I mean, I appreciate that this is in some ways kind of an original joke. I've never seen an mm-hmm. imaginary Hitler before, and I've never seen. The idea that it's Hitler through the eyes of a young child in Germany. But I was expecting, I think I was expecting more jokes like the joke with the poster in the beginning where they they put up a poster and it's Hitler's actual face and then they kind of wipe up and down it and it turns into the Taika Waititi Hitler face. I was expecting more jokes like that, like maybe he's learning about Hitler in school and and his rise to power but uh you know Hitler's right there next to him you know talking about you know how glorious he is and the disconnect between the childish view of Hitler versus what he actually did and how he actually came to power would be you know the 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 joke right but it was more so just seeing hitler depicted as a totally innocent you know little right. little child version of, of hitler basically which i have seen before yeah though i do say i like taiko watiti's when asked what he did to prepare for the role he said i don't know he's a cunt <laughs> Like, I did nothing. Like, I'm not looking for accuracy here. (laughs) Yeah, he didn't research Hitler's, like, speeches and watch him and try to mimic him. No, that would be giving him too much credit. I'm here to make fun of this asshole. Like, there's... There's no point in doing any research. Right. Although I'd imagine that he probably did watch The Great the Great Dictator. Oh, I'm sure. And I'm sure he's watched The Producer. There's a lot of Chaplin There's in definitely a lot of Chaplin. You know, Taika Waititi's comedic style, I think, in general, is it's like this very interesting blend of old-timey slapstick plus Monty Python as satire with just, like, a dash of, like, Flight of the Concords. Right. Well, yeah, he directed many Flight of the Concords episodes. Yeah, uh, yeah. So you can't cite him as his own influence. Well, I mean, it's not his own influence, but, like, you can you can taste the flavor, you know? Right. I, I, think, I think I would describe what you're trying to gesture at with Flight of the Concords is it's the sort of the, the monotone the uh, uh, deadpan, you know, the sort of Keaton-esque deadpan. Yeah, a little deadpan, understated, off-kilter comedy. Yeah, I, I think that's definitely a good description. Uh, but the the joke of his Hitler character is that he's very innocent and doesn't recognize, you know, the monstrous things that he's saying as monstrous because he's just a child, which is sort of the joke of all of the, you know, there's a lot of sketches that are like Lil Hitler or Kid Hitler or <laughs> right. Baby Hitler 
with the joke being if we take this monstrous figure and put him into an innocent body into like a, a teenage girl context then he becomes you know emasculated and non-threatening yeah yeah it's it, you're i think you're absolutely right with that like a lot of the jokes at Hitler's expense are very much about emasculation, either through, you know, the gay Hitlers um, and, you know, the decoupling of masculinity with with gayness and that perceived disconnect with, you know, having childish Hitler. If you're a child, you're not a man. Having feminine Hitler, like very obviously <laughs> not masculine. There's 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 a girl Hitler in the Venture Brothers. Yeah, right. Or like sexy hitler you know i rapping hitler yeah what? that's a weird one too because it's it's specifically that he's doing a type of music that we assume that he would dislike right because it's you know it's ethnic black quote, music but i don't yeah. know did he i don't know if he liked jazz i know he liked wagner i don't know if no. he you know specifically hated jazz and thought it was you know crass i mean i'm sure he hated jazz like he he hated black people <laughs> like <laughs> He did that. You know. That that is true. But yeah, rapping Hitler. The I think that one of the worst YouTube channels ever created or maintained was Epic, Epic rap, rap. rap Battles of History, and it should be absolutely deleted. Not just their Hitler content, but all of their content. It's terrible. Yeah, it's not great. It's like talk of. It's just unfunny in so many ways. You know, it's just such basic hack it's humor. It's lazy. It's yeah, very it's lazy. Just literally rhyming things. I, I watched all three of the. It was they did Hitler versus. I would expect like Hitler versus Stalin or Hitler versus Churchill, but they did Hitler versus Darth Vader. Like so, like this is also the other thing that I think comes along with parodying Hitler is that you know he becomes another pop culture figure. Right, exactly. Like he's less grounded in the historical realness. Reality. Yeah, and it becomes it's Hitler the singing and dancing Nazi. And what are Nazis? They're just some longer just dealing with the 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 aged political Nazis, the right. uh, the the Nazis in power. We're dealing with you know, internet Nazis, Nazi 13-year-olds. Right, where the internet is basically their Nazi camp, you know, right. where they go to hang out with all their Nazi friends. And literal youth militias, yeah. uh, like we saw with... Um, in Kenosha. Yeah, in Kenosha, that, that these, you know, these children are being trained with guns in the same way that these Hitler youth camps functioned, with hate in their hearts, with, with true hate yeah. for, um, you know, anybody stepping out of line and with the belief that they are responsible for protecting their culture or their property rights or whatever. Right, quote unquote. Yeah, no, it's troubling to say the least. And so I, I definitely commend Jojo Rabbit for its focus on German youth and the sort of youth culture and youth brainwashing that was just sort of part of the society. And like, you know, it was hard to recognize it as brainwashing when like all your friends do it too. Like that's just normal, right? You know, like you have no other um, reference point in the world and it's hard to break out of that when that's all that you've been raised with. And, and you know, I definitely think the movie does, does a decent job about talking about that sort of de-radicalization process. The question always being, though, in so doing, are we, are we at the same time sort of empathizing with the Nazis 
and and giving them a better shot than they actually deserved. You know, would a character like Jojo actually have switched sides? Were there, you know, this many uh, resistors kind of quietly resisting the Nazis within the the power structures as the uh, the leader of the uh, Hitler Youth camps? You know, ends up being like a good gay Nazi. Right. I mean, it's a little yeah. Like, it's it's definitely uncomfortable. For me, I think the most uncomfortable part about it is, you know, he, he's trying to interview the girl in JoJo, uh, the main character, trying to interview the girl in the wall. Um, and, you know, she's making up all of these crazy stories about what Jews are like to, you know, feed into his fascistic German narrative of what a Jew is. Right. And to point out how, how childish it is to, you know, yeah. try and depict these people as pure evil. And I think it, it, it kind of creates a, uh, you know, a view of the, the Jew that can be so easily shattered, you know. Like, why does the German hate the Jew? Oh, well, it's because he assumes that the Jew is a demon. And so if you eliminate that misconception by showing them a real Jewish person, then that will free them of their, of their you know, delusion and, and they will stop being anti-Semitic. But it's not exactly the case. You know, they would be, okay, well, you're one of the good ones, but there's this whole system, this cabal of Jews. And even if we decide that you know, the Jews as a whole are not a conspiracy, we still want to eliminate them because they're just not good enough to deserve to continue existing in our perfect right. world. They're not German. So why are they in Germany? Make German German again. So, so it, it kind of oversimplifies and makes it too easy to break out of the the trap that is anti-Semitism. Uh, and it clearly is a trap that's still very yeah. effective that once you're radicalized about one thing, even if that thing is, you know, leftism, socialism, there are ways that you can be taken from a very positive, you know, anti-capitalist position to an anti-Jewish position. Not that I'm characterizing all anti-capitalism as anti-Semitic. No, I think you very much are not. Um, no, but, but it, you know, it's it continues to be one of those strange phenomena that anti-semitism is alive and well on both the left and the right and not equally not equally i would i would argue much worse on the right yes but the left got some issues too and you know they they should also be addressed i think it was just recently that uh, the leader of the the naacp chapter in philadelphia near where i live their their president uh, had to, or maybe it wasn't their president, but someone had to step down uh, because of anti-Semitic comments. Um, I can provide a source for that instead of just saying things. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, this this year there has been a lot of a lot of shit about a lot of things, and anti-Semitism is one of them. And it's it's a shame that this is still a freaking issue. I think, you know, to sort of bring it back a little bit, do, do you think that, you know, movies like Jojo Rabbit are ultimately hurting or helping, hurting or helping, yeah, just in, in general, help, helping the cause of... I don't think it's quite so simple. I think, I think yeah, there are okay. positives and negatives to it. Um, mm -hmm. I've, I've seen some reviews that talk about 
you know, how this is like a satire that we need for our times, that it's it's very relevant. It's a very, you know, the term which uh, is, is most commonly used uh, is the, the usable past. You know, it's it's constructing not the past as it was, but the past as we can use it today to construct a, a critique of our current society. For sure, um, absolutely. I, I mean, I think that's that's true of a lot of, you know, like all historical quote-unquote films right. are, you know, less about... you Because you can have a film about the Civil War and it's going to be treated differently in 1890 versus it's going to be treated in 1950 versus how it's going to be treated in 1990 uh, versus how it's going to be treated in 2020, you know? like. Right. It's, it's going to reflect more about the time period in which it's being created than necessarily the time period that it is about. Because it's it's the lens of that time through our current understanding. Right. I think that one of the reviewer, one of the reviews that I saw for Jojo Rabbit um, had the most damning critique, which was to slightly compare it to Life is Beautiful, the Roberto Benigni film are you familiar with this one at all it it sounds so familiar i feel like i know it but i am drawing a blank yeah it's it's an an italian man his his wife and and his son are put in a concentration camp and he lies to his son this one oh god to pretend that oh we're just playing a game um, and it's one of my least favorite films that I've ever yes. seen. Yes, um, I know. I absolutely hate it. Mel Brooks hated it. I haven't watched it, but I've watched lots of critiques of it, <laughs> and I'm pretty sure like that is going to be one of the most like universally panned by Jews uh, Holocaust films. Well, my 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 dad actually felt that there was something kind of beautiful about it. That that uh, you know. It was about the you know the, the the cruelty and the horror of the of the concentration camp, but it was about you know overcoming it, and that was sort of a a wish fulfillment for him. Okay, so there was a 1999 film that was similar, uh, starring Robin Williams called Jacob the Liar. Oh, he pretends to have a access to a radio and tells everyone in the ghetto that uh, that he's getting reports that the the Germans are losing and that the the Brits are winning and he lies so well that you know he even tricks the Nazis into thinking he really has a radio oh my god and it's all to give people hope you know it's it, it's it's really dumb uh and, and uncomfortable <laughs> and there was another one uh that was I can't remember the title but it was you know imagining all of the Jews in uh in a particular place pretending to get on a train going to a concentration camp, but the train actually goes to Palestine to freedom. But then that one at least is different because it ends with, it turns out it was all a fantasy and they actually did end up going to a concentration camp. So it's at least copying to the fact that this is not a realistic portrayal of what it's like to experience the Holocaust. (laughs) The Holocaust. Yeah. Um, no, there were not a lot of happy endings when people right. got on train. So the semi-happy ending of JoJo, is it Benini-ish? Is it, is it Life is Beautiful? Or is it, um, you know, a, a modicum of hope for us uh, today in coping with hate? Um, I will leave that up to you guys to decide. <laughs> Any other tiny examples that you saw that uh, that you wanted to lay out, Hannah? I, I know we, um, we skipped a I lot mean, of the ones that we did watch, but there's just not enough time to talk about everything. Uh, one, one thing that I do just want to note is Kung Fury, if if you haven't watched it. I believe it's still um, still on Netflix. Is It, it might not be. 
but it's just the most insane like B movie of. Kung I think it's up in full nonsense. on YouTube, actually. Oh, it's so. on YouTube. Okay, you can watch it. Watch it there. But you know, just another one of those like bonkers, zany like balls to the walls. Just using Hitler as like, you know, the same way you would use Darth Vader, basically. Right. Um. Yeah. But it's like it is. It's just kind of fun, and I hate that it's fun, but it is. You know. It's it's a uh, it's kind of like the 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 TV trope. Uh, stupid jetpack Hitler. Right, exactly. Where you take something hit like Hitler and you just make it trivial. Right, like the, one thing that comes to mind is there's a, a wild book series called uh, about a samurai cat, and uh, I have one called Samurai Cat Goes to Hell, and he fights a lot of Nazi dinosaurs, including like dinosaur Hitler. More Hitler in hell. We've we've seen this before, folks. Yeah. What about did you did you watch the Supernatural episode where they bring back Hitler and then? I Afterwards, <laughs> uh, Dean just spends like a whole episode just going, I killed Hitler. You know, uh, somebody should buy me a drink. I'm, I killed oh Hitler. God. Like, it's just very, you know, it's trivial, trivializing it. It's not making a big deal out of it. I mean, sure, like the Thule Society was like a thing. But like barely. It's kind of based in historical fact that there were these occultists in the Nazis. But yeah, resurrecting Hitler for jokes it happens anything for you david yeah let's see there's rick and morty's aberdolf linkler which is just taking the two most hack political jokes and combining them together it is what it is yeah so you know i mean we didn't even get into uh hitalia at all which you know while not oh god is hitler in hitalia it's not hitler but it's nazi germany so it like might as well be you know terrible um, the the axis powers as comedic characters as it's weird comedic lovable gay shippable characters is Very just odd. the most bizarre thing to come out of japan <laughs> that even more bizarrely american teenagers decided to latch on to just going to side eye everyone involved in that for for a while. <laughs> um, um, there's one yeah. video game that I, I wanted to include on the list, which was, yeah. uh, it was pretty controversial, I think, when it came out. It was uh, a sequel to Wolfenstein, the yep. uh, the New Colossus. And so that's, it's an alternate history, so Hitler is aged up uh, to, you know, 71 years old. And so he's just like a vomiting... old Hitler! Right, so he's just like a demented, vomiting sick mess so it's just kind of like you know it, it's it's about like the loyalty that they have to this like insane person right. uh that even as he loses his mind he's still the ruler of the world in this right in this universe so which you know i think has been a point that sci-fi has been making for decades now where you know whatever has some loyalty to Ah, uh, yes, we are the pure race, but then, you know, the person in charge of them is, like, this ugly, disgusting pile of pus, and it's like, this, this is your purity, and, you know, it, it's, it's old hat. Maybe we'll talk about, the, well, maybe we'll talk about the more metaphorical portrayals of Hitler, like, yeah. Davros, and, and... Uh, what Darth Vader. Darth Vader. <laughs> well, it's, I guess, it's more Palpatine than... Yeah. Vader's more of, like, an SS guy. Yeah, um, <laughs> doesn't make it better. Doesn't make it better at all. Uh, but yeah, maybe we'll talk about that more in the future. In the meantime... Tell us what your favorite Hitler is. Mine is the 
the dead one. Right. Do you know any good Hitler one-line one-liner jokes? Yeah. Don't tweet them at us. Yeah. <laughs> don't. Don't tweet us anything about Hitler, please. Right. But tweet us uh, what you want us to talk about next. We've got yeah. we've got plenty of topics that we'd we'd love to cover. Maybe some less controversial than this, maybe some more. <laughs> yeah, we're we're ready to take it all on. So we'll we'll see you next week with a, another episode of Standing Stanley Tucci. Uh, our brand new hit series where we rewatch the entire filmography of the Tooch himself. Right. It would be great if next week was the one where he plays Adolf, Adolf Eichmann. I don't think it is. <laughs> but unfortunately, no. <laughs> but uh, we'll, we'll see you then. Bye. Bye. Hey, that's crazy, man. The far out. <laughs>